Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's July 6th, and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew House Barbie, and I'm here as always with my very reliable co-host, Austin Knight. How are you doing, Austin? <laughs> Maybe a little bit less reliable last week, but hey, we, we skipped a week and we've made it. We survived the 4th of July. Matt, I hear that you're over here on this side of the pond and you didn't even blow an arm off shooting off fireworks. So that's good. <laughs> it's it's true. I mainly fired the fireworks out of my ass to protect my arms <laughs> in in true American fashion. It was it was it was brilliant. No, I had an amazing I yeah, I'm over in LA for uh, a few weeks. Did like a proper 4th of July, went to like a party on the beach in LA. It was, yeah, it was it was amazing. It was uh it was really great. Uh had a, had a lot of fun. Um, and I, I hear you had uh, an enjoyable time down in down in Texas, enjoying some fireworks as well, right? Oh yeah, always a great time. Um, and you know, I I have to applaud the American people that we've moved on enough to where we'll allow a, a Brit such as yourself on our territory during our day of independence. So. Listen, the, the, the oppressors have to check in from time to time, and I just you know I just wanted to make sure you didn't forget. Didn't forget. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, hey, all all uh, all joking aside, it's awesome that you're here, Matt. I know that you're working on some really cool stuff in LA, and we have some pretty big stories to cover since it's been about two weeks, and a ton of stuff has been unfolding over that time. Yeah, I feel like we're operating on like dog years at the moment. It's just like the amount of stuff that happens in such a short period of time is is ridiculous. Um, we have uh, we have a lot of really interesting stuff. <clears throat> we've got the we've got a big kind of revelation in the Axie Infinity kind of Ronin bridge hack story. Um, an update on that that just dropped today, which we're going to share. I'm going to give a little bit of backstory as well into North Korea's role in all of this. So that's been kind of interesting. Um, more updates on Three Arrows and the uh, not so great side of, of crypto that that's happening there. And just another random story here, which which has been unfolding with Roger Ver, aka Bitcoin Jesus, the creator of the savior <laughs> of all crypto in Bcash, uh, you know, owing $47 million allegedly to a crypto exchange and failing to pay it. So we'll, we'll, we'll dig in a little bit there. Um, and a whole host of other wrap-up news that we're going to dig into. Also, some personal news. I finally, Austin, I finally caved in, and I, uh, I put down. I, this is this is just adding to the list of stupid things I do. I feel that <laughs> I, I put down a deposit on the new Solana phone. Call me crazy. Wow. I, was like, I know. I was like, you know, uh, I was like, I don't know if I'm actually going to use this thing frequently, but I, I kind of feel like. It'll be one of those things, like kind of like my Snapchat spectacles. Like I never even really used Snapchat, but you know, yeah. kept the spectacles just for the novelty factor. For in a few years' time, it will just be an interesting piece to own. So I, that was my rationale there. So I will next year when that comes out, we will do a deep dive into how incredible or terrible the Solana phone is. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. I'm actually we'll see. really looking forward to that. It, we and we have some additional updates, sort of 
related to that here. Uh, and believe mm. it or ma- not, Matt, I have my Snapchat spectacles in my hand. That was a very I... specific reference, and they're sitting in my drawer. So I have Austin, the same mentality as you there. My private investigator feeds this information back in to me. I know your every move. Just, you know, I just keep tabs on people. <laughs> Uh, it's fine. Uh, all right, let's uh, uh, let's let's jump into our first story of the day right after this. If you're struggling to get your head around the complexity of decentralized finance, I've something just for you. Decrypting DeFi is an online course where I walk you through all of the important concepts within DeFi and share step-by-step tutorials on how to start generating income from your crypto assets. Whether you're interested in this from an investment point of view, or just want to better understand how things like yield farming, liquidity mining, and staking works, the course will have something for you. Head over to mhb.xyz forward slash DeFi to learn more. You've probably heard of Axie Infinity and the Ronin Bridge and all of the drama that has unfolded there. If you haven't, well, their Ethereum Bridge is back online after a $500 million plus hack that took just, it Just down. a little one. Just a small one. Yeah. Pocket we, change. We, uh, it's, it's a beast. And we touched on this briefly last week. This is becoming a little bit of a pattern. But effectively, this is a bridge that connects... Axie Infinity, which is an NFT game, um, to the Ronin sidechain, their Ronin sidechain to Ethereum mainnet. Um, And it's back online. This is more than three months after the attack took it down. Uh, And this is pretty a pretty big deal because Axie Infinity is actually the most successful NFT based video game in terms of total trading volume. So it's a big one. Um, But yeah, it was taken down back in late March after somewhere around $540 million worth of crypto assets were stolen through an exploit. And actually, by the time that this was disclosed, those assets were worth about $622 million because it took the group a little bit of time to um, share this as public information. Of course, now... Monumental, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. It's so, it's so, it's just so much cash. Do you know, I actually didn't realize this, but, you know, Axie isn't just like the the most successful like gamefi project by nft it's actually axie is the most sold nft project of any project by trading volume of all time like more than cryptopunks more than bored apes it's, it's unbelievable the actual scale that they've reached in terms of like trading volume on their on their nfts just like another little thing i, I, I like I, I saw a talk at nft myc where they shared this and it actually surprised me but uh, yeah, it's huge, huge. Yeah, that is surprising to me. Uh, I mean, nevertheless, this easily makes this one of the largest DeFi hacks of all mm. time. Um, and so it amounted to 173,600 ETH and then $25.5 million in USDC stable coins. So yeah, like I said, at the time of disclosure, that was $622 million. Now it's somewhere hovering around $200 million, but the losses were there. Uh, since then, Ronin users who had funds stolen in the attack have actually been refunded. So uh, 56,000 of that 173,000 ETH actually belonged to the Axie DAO. And those community funds 
currently will remain unaccounted for as Sky Mavis, which is the parent company behind all of this, works with law enforcement to try and recover those assets. So those are currently still up in the air. If those funds are not recovered within two years, the Axie DAO is going to vote on what to do with its treasury. But for the time being, that 56,000 ETH is still out there and uh, going to remain unaccounted for while they work with law enforcement. But on the flip side, 46,000 ETH from that total was already withdrawn from Ronin via a separate bridge that Binance uh, launched in April. So that was already given back through a form of refund. And then that left a total of 71,600 ETH and $25.5 million USDC that Sky Mavis has since refunded to its effective users and or affected users. And part of the way that they did this is they raised $150 million in additional funding in April to help deal with all of this. Um, and that was a, a funding round that was led by Binance alongside Andreessen Horowitz and several others. So it seems like for the most part, folks have been made whole thanks to the swift actions taken by the Sky Mavis team. But of course, there still is a lot left unaccounted for that um, they are working with law enforcement to follow up on. And in April, the United States Treasury actually connected the Ronin Bridge attack to the Lazarus Group, which is an infamous North Korean state-sponsored group of hackers. So this cooperation with law enforcement has not been fruitless. There actually is something there. In fact, Lazarus, this North Korean state-sponsored group, had actually previously been tied to the 2017 WannaCry ransomware attack, uh, 2014's Sony Pictures hack. You remember that? Feels like forever ago. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And also several other exploits. And this is where this story starts to get really bizarre because I I think, Matt, we've kind of become used to talking about big numbers like $622 million, $540 million, like like it's nothing. These huge attacks um, that that have happened in the case to the Ronin Bridge here. But This goes much deeper than just money. Uh, It turns out that North Korea has actually been participating in a bunch of these attacks. And while they benefited from it over the course of the last several years, um, they're actually now participating, I I guess maybe this is a form of karma, in the losses that many of us are feeling right now as well. In fact, North Korea, it appears, has taken on somewhere around $400 million of crypto losses that was, of course, stolen crypto. But the result of this is that it looks like it could hurt its nuclear weapons program. So, (laughs) (laughs) oh, man, they they should have thrown it all into Luna. That would have, uh, you know, that would have, that would have, that would have rescued the world. This is actually a really effective way of safeguarding nuclear threats is just ensure that uh, kind of really volatile nation states hold all of their assets uh, in crypto and just wait for the crash. You know, that that is much more, <laughs> much more effective than sanctions, I think, is, is is all of this. So yeah, this is just so bizarre that, that this is even what we're discussing today. It really is. I mean, imagine being North Korea, you've stolen tons of crypto, you're using it, according to the UN, to fund your nuclear weapons program. And then that crypto totally plunges in value, which potentially jeopardizes your weapons programs. I mean, back in February, 
literally a leaked United Nations report suggested that North Korea's nuclear and ballistic missile programs were being funded by this stolen crypto. And chain analysis estimates that North Korea's old crypto holdings from hacks that were conducted between 2020 and 2021 have declined from a value of around $170 million at the start of the year to around $65 million at current prices. And then you factor into that the ETH from the Ronin hack on top of that, which could have been sold, like I said, at the time for around $622 million and would only be worth around $200 million today. Uh, there are some pretty huge losses that North North Korea's uh, weapons program is, is taking yeah. from this stolen crypto. However, and this is where it gets a, a little difficult, it looks like most of the ETH that was stolen in that hack was later swapped for Bitcoin. So it's not clear what the level of the impact was. But what is clear is that when these huge multi-million dollar attacks happen, such as the Ronin Bridge hack, um, there are serious nefarious actors that are taking part in that, including nation states with dangerous nuclear weapons programs that are then using that money to fund their activities. And of course, in some form of karmic justice, um, they're taking a hit now. But I think it's something worth, you know, really considering, like there's more to this than just the numbers. And Matt, as we're finding out literally today, the way that all of this came about was perhaps even more bizarre than... Is is it more bizarre or is it not? It's hard to tell whether Kim Jong-un having to sell his Lambos is more ridiculous (laughs) than the way the the Ronin Bridge hacked. I mean, we've been asking for like, you know, what is the utility of crypto for a long time? Don't think any of us were here saying, you know, funding nuclear programs is the the killer app on on Ethereum. (laughs) So, but yeah, this this does get a little crazier. So... There's been a lot of speculation around, obviously, the Lazarus Group were um, were linked to the Ronin Bridge hack. Um, but how? How did this happen? And uh, what the Sky Mavis team had released was that it was the result of social engineering of, of one of their team. They hadn't actually explained how. Well, now, the block has just broke this story today that and uh you know i feel really bad for for the individual that ultimately this happened to but the the long and short of this is a senior engineer that was working uh, on axie infinity was offered a fake job at a at a fictitious company there was a huge amount of like background work done here it's a very sophisticated job they were reaching out i think a number of sky mavis employees uh, i the company behind axie they, they'd received messages on linkedin from individuals that had purported to work for this fictitious company that were looking to hire them and you know this this senior engineer went through multiple rounds of interviews it seemed really legit um and was offered a job with an extremely generous compensation package that individual then said okay yeah let's let's do it let's take this job and the the kind of the offer letter the well the fake offer letter at least was delivered in the form of a pdf the engineer downloaded this pdf onto their their laptop that they work from this allowed spyware to infiltrate ronin systems and then from there the hackers were able to attack and take over four out of the nine um 
kind of proof of authority validator nodes on the Ronin network, leaving them just one validator short of complete control. Um, and that is how then the Ronin bridge was was drained. And yeah, I feel so bad. I, I, I mean, I really hope that the senior engineer here, their identity does not get released it would be so bad if that were to happen because i really don't think you can blame someone like that sure they could do a lot of this stuff but this is this is a lot of planned work that goes into a, a breach like this and i think really that the main issue here was the the validators uh, well only having nine proof of authority validators that maintain hundreds of millions of dollars of assets in a bridge that's the real issue here but so it's kind of a crazy, a crazy time. I, you know, I would say not quite so much of a fun fact, uh, but since since the start of 2021, there has been over 2.2 billion dollars of funds that have been stolen by DeFi hackers. 2.2 billion dollars just just since the start of 2021, and we're probably going to see more. Right. And uh, it seems like bridges have been one of the biggest attack vectors so far. Obviously, this 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 story is uh, no exception and I'm sure there'll be more to come. But hopefully this is another big wake up call for for the industry to kind of tighten things up a little bit. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I will say I have to agree with you that I feel terrible for that engineer because I think that it's a very common and easy mistake to miss. I mean, you could say don't interview for another job using your <laughs> your current employer's hardware. Um, mm. uh, well, know, he, fair well, here's the thing. Well, here's the thing. Most of the, obviously I moved into Web3 space and most of the time you're using your own, it's, it's very different from the setup. Like people just using their own laptops. They're, they're kind of set up as like contractors versus like actual uh, like W3 employees, so they use their own equipment. So, it, yeah, it gets really blurry. But I agree, security best practice. If you are a senior engineer, you probably should know better. But I don't think it's reasonable that you should expect going through all of those steps, multiple interview rounds, that this be the thing, this be the way in. Um, yeah. But, no, yeah. you're totally right, Matt. And and actually, I don't think as a senior engineer, you should be expected to thwart nation state attacks. That's fair. Okay? That's fair. That's fair. Um, I, I mean, there's a reason why Web2 companies have InfoSec teams and yep. provide you with hardware and actually ban you from using your own hardware to perform the work. It's because they are, they're locking down their systems and ensuring the security of their IP and their networks, right? I mean, I think you and I have both worked for companies where we could only access our work on company hardware. And if something were to happen to that hardware, it would be remotely nuked, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yep. um, uh, yeah, I, 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 like to me, I think that in a lot of ways, the engineer here was um, set up for failure. And it's almost surprising to me that this attack vector hasn't been exploited more often um, and yeah. in the past. I think that you and I can probably both think of times where, you know, we've downloaded a file in an interview to try to keep the interview going or, or you know, something like that. I, I think this happened to me like just last week. I was 
mm-hmm. interviewing a designer who um, they had a sketch file instead of a Figma file. And we were trying to figure out a way to present it because Google Meet and Chrome are like not working correctly all the time now. And then it's like, crap, I can't download this random file. Right. But you could see how it would be easy for that to happen. It's like, is somebody really going to go through such an elaborate scheme as like offering me a job or, or interviewing for a role or something like that just to access um, a network that that I, this like seemingly, you know, unimportant person um, have already restricted access to? And the answer is sometimes yes, you know? Yeah. So I, although like um, Web3 and DeFi and, and decentralized tech, I think are innovating in a lot of ways, there's still some old wisdom to be pulled <laughs> from, um, you know, the, the, the way that things have been done in Web2 companies and uh, even prior to that. And I think this is an interesting example of that one. Agreed. 100%. All right. Let's jump into our second story of the day. Three Arrows Capital. We've been talking about it for the last couple weeks, and we were predicting that some nasty stuff might happen there. Well, they have now officially filed for bankruptcy. And specifically, they filed for Chapter 15 bankruptcy last Friday. Uh, This is a big deal because it brings an end to this prominent decade-old firm that managed as much as $10 billion in assets as recently as March of this year. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. Makes, uh, makes you feel good about, uh, being, uh, on the North Korean government right now, right? Those, those, <laughs> those losses are way bigger. Uh, <laughs> just, just $400 million of, of losses. Imagine if Three Arrows Capital were managing the North Korean nuclear weapons program, what they could oh, achieve. That would, that would safeguard us for years, a decade, centuries to, to come. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So this one's a bummer, of course. Um, they have filed, as I said, Chapter 15 bankruptcy, uh, which is interesting because this specifically enables cooperation between international and U.S. court systems, and it's typically filed in an effort to protect the debtor's assets, which is important here. Uh, This all happened after three big events last week. Uh, First, Three Eras Capital was ordered to liquidate their assets by a court in the British islands. Um, And they, uh, what, what this refers to specifically is the formal shuttering of their business due to their inability to pay off debt and other financial obligations. Now, you may or may not know that Three Arrows Capital is based in Singapore. So uh, British Virgin Islands, you know, obviously different jurisdictions, but still what it uh, pushes is that whatever assets the company holds are then going to effectively need to be sold off piecemeal to various creditors with outstanding loans. And uh, partners from the New York-based Tenio Restructuring were called in to handle the insolvency. But what's interesting is that while this was happening, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, which is where 3AC is based, also reprimanded them for providing it with false information and for being misleading. So it sounds like the jurisdiction problem is not really uh, going to protect 3AC, especially considering this Chapter 15 version of bankruptcy that they filed. On top of that, the crypto brokerage Voyager Digital, which we've also been talking about recently, uh, in our last episode, we we mentioned that they plummeted 60% after revealing that they had a $600 million plus exposure to Three Arrows Capital. Yep. And that exposure was 
over 15,000 BTC, $350 million in USDC. And we were thinking that they were probably on the verge of issuing a notice of default. And it turns out last week they did. And on top of that, they also suspended trading and withdrawals, citing they, unpaid loans to 3AC totaling $646 million. And, and now they have just filed for bankruptcy. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I think that happened today. They have officially Voyager Digital filed for bankruptcy. Um, and this is because Three Arrows defaulted on the loan and another one bites the dust. Uh, so yeah, it's just crazy, crazy times really here. Yeah, we, we've probably got a few more to to fall in the in the wake of this. I think we do. I mean, we keep seeing this pattern repeat itself, right? And of course, with this happening, the collapse of Three AC, naturally, ours are going to turn to Celsius, which is in similar trouble and is said to be preparing for its own bankruptcy filing. So you can see how the dominoes start to fall. Remember last episode, we talked about how 3AC had been an active investor in the digital asset industry um, across non-fungible tokens, DeFi, layer one blockchain, and a bunch of crypto companies. And they had borrowed money from Celsius and BlockFi and Nexo and BitMEX, among others. So their inability to repay their loans means that those lenders are taking a hit. And then, of course, they also own a bunch of assets like BTC, ETH. The list is huge. We we talked about it last week. Um, and now with them collapsing, of course, your eyes start to turn to some of those lenders and other groups that are in similar sort of rough waters like Celsius. So I think yeah. there will be more to discuss as these dominoes keep falling. Yeah, and it seems like... Um... Sam Bankman-Fried over at FDX is uh, potentially planning an acquisition of BlockFi. I think there were like there were some reports coming out uh, last week where it's like BlockFi were being acquired for twenty five million dollars, um, and their like last round was like in the billions of dollars valuation. But I think that was actually inaccurately reported. I think there was like an option to to buy in their, their terms of like $25 million, but then their, um, the, the cost of the assets that they hold on their balance sheet also bring that up to several hundred million. So then we're going to hear more about that, but it, it sounds like an FTX deal to acquire BlockFi is probably going to happen. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm not sure what's going to happen with Celsius, but that's going to be another really, really big one that we have to keep our eyes on. Arguably the last really like, really problematic one in that list in my opinion uh, nexo is as well but i think celsius is by far the has has the biggest potential to cause chaos in the, in the markets yeah definitely and of course again common theme sbf and ftx swoop in <laughs> <laughs> as <laughs> to per... save the day well uh, I, saw, I i saw uh i was reading an article in in the economist and if uh a couple of days ago that, that was kind of talking about uh, Sam Bankman-Fried. It's probably the only positive stuff I'm seeing in more like mainstream media around crypto at the at the moment and whether he is kind of the, the savior of, of crypto and, and the markets right now. I think what FTX are doing by absorbing some of these and preventing, well, more so I think what's, what's good optics, especially from regulators, is the crypto industry kind of buying out and uh, rescuing other crypto like projects versus relying on being bailed out from external 
um, kind of industries, things like that. So that's one positive piece. But yeah, I think we got a long way to go. But on that note, we got another somewhat related, interesting story that's been emerging over the past couple of weeks that that we'll jump into next. So the crypto exchange CoinFlex, which I'll be honest, I'd never heard of CoinFlex prior to the to this, um, says that Roger Ver, uh, some of you may know him as Bitcoin Jesus, the the man behind uh, Bcash or Bitcoin Cash, as Roger likes it to be known, um, owes them forty seven million dollars allegedly that he has been marching called on and uh, is is not meeting that marching call. Um, now, th- this is kind of a, a strange one for, for me and either signifies one of two things. One is that maybe this, uh, I mean, it's, it's hard to, to know who to trust here. Roger says that he does not owe them any money. And in fact, uh, CoinFlex owes him money. Um, but, you know, Roger Ver is someone who was very early in on Bitcoin. And I think at one point was like reported to own like in like the hundreds of thousands of Bitcoin. There's like billions of dollars. So him not being able to meet a $47 million margin call is a strange one. However, I know that he did sell huge, huge amounts of his Bitcoin to prop up and fund uh, Bcash, which he obviously has been taking a massive L on. It still seems a bit far-fetched that he couldn't make this margin call. But so so according to CoinFlex, they'd um they'd they'd offered uh him uh basically like a, a credit line here of of $47 million and he'd previously met every margin call that they'd ever given up to now, where he's kind of ghosting them. Um now, the, the thing the thing that's happened here is CoinFlex have now completely frozen trading um, and, until they're, they're able to recover this debt of $47 million. The, big, the bigger question here I have is, how do lenders take on this much, this much risk? I mean, you know, I, it, it kind of baffles me, and this is a constant theme, especially with these, like, uncollateralized loans that, where they're just taking on this much risk, where... If like, when they were discussing this as a team, whether they were going to take on this uh, this loan to 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 Roger Ver, did nobody kind of just say, "Well, what happens if he doesn't pay?" This is the thing that kind of gets me. You know? <laughs> like, no one's went, "Oh no, yeah, we yeah we'll be we'll be completely fucked." Uh, it's like no no one said that. It's like, "Oh no, yep, this is all good. Let's let's take this out. This will be absolutely fine." Um, it's just horrendous. Like. Surely these teams have risk management teams. And if they do have risk management teams, what are they doing? What are they doing here? And so this is where this story gets way better. And in the true spirit of everything that's kind of bad about uh, the the space at the moment, to to resolve the situation, CoinFlex, uh, CoinFlex have decided that they are just going to sell a new token that they're printing out of thin air called RVUSD. Now, the RV is, <laughs> is allegedly stands for recovery value. I mean, it's clearly meant to be Roger Ver. Um, they're offering a 
20% APR. Oh, that famous awesome number. <laughs> it's just uh, it's just so brilliant, isn't it? And you know, and it's accrued and it's paid daily out in more RVUSD. Um and to to acquire RVUSD, you, you can buy it directly with USDC. So you buy it one to one with USDC. Minimum purchase is 100k. Uh, it's only open to accredited investors and is not available to to people in the US. And I, I dug in a little bit into the the RVUSD white paper, right? And so so I'm just going to quote a few things uh, from from the white paper. Proceeds from the repayment of the debt slash recovery of assets from the individual, i.e. Rogerver will be converted into USDC. RVUSD holders will be able to convert their tokens into USDC on a pro rata basis based on the amount of the repayments recoveries from time to time. So what they're saying is, um, so you buy RVUSD with a USDC, and as soon as we get our money back from Rogerver, you'll be able to then convert back your RVUSD into USDC uh, with this 20% premium uh, that, that you're accruing over time. They've got 2.5 million units of, and this is where I think things start to get really kind of shady because, well, what if, what if Roger Ver doesn't pay this back, which is the most likely outcome here? 2.5 million, uh, million units of flex coins, which is their native token, uh, like the Luna of the Terra blockchain, for example, uh, from the existing CoinFlex treasury will also be set aside for this issuance. So upon the individual, i.e. Roger Ver, paying the full amount, RVUSD holders will receive 2.5 million flex tokens distributed pro rata across all holders. Similarly, in the case of partial repayments, RVUSD holders will be partially paid these flex tokens pro rata based on the amount repaid and then it'll be that the flex tokens will be paid out over an eight month period following the recovery or partial recovery so it's like okay so all of this is basically determined uh it is based on roger Ver paying them the 47 million back and then they're gonna then convert back these funds into usdc people can claim their cash back and they get some of these flex coins which will no doubt absolutely crater in value the moment that they get printed out and uh well not printed because they're already in the treasury the moment they get distributed out and people start dumping them but here's the best thing so if coinflex doesn't recover the funds within 15 months rvusd holders will be able to claim funds directly from them in either USDC or a mix of USDC and Flex tokens. And th- this will be determined by CoinFlex at the time. So theoretically, it could just be in Flex tokens. And it will either come from CoinFlex balance sheet or the treasury. Yeah, what what could possibly go wrong here? Yeah, it's just, there's just so, I, the people that are buying RVUSD You've got to be mad to do this right now. Either that or you've got like more money than sense. I just cannot believe that that this is the approach they're taking. And, and it is actually worth noticing. This isn't an unprecedented kind of uh, approach. I remember, and I can't remember the exact day of this, but I think it was either 2017, 2018. Um, but I think it was Bittrex. They did a similar thing to recover funds from a, a hack that they had. They launched a recovery token. It actually ended up working out okay. However, I think that it was a very different time back then. And uh, we didn't have all of this kind of craziness that we have today. But it's just, you know, 
I just don't see any good outcome in all of this. Uh, so it will be, we'll be tracking this closely and we'll see what happens. Not financial advice, but please don't buy RVUSD. Just please just don't, <laughs> just don't do it. I mean, this is effectively they're selling their debt, right? Um, yeah. This is sort of like if somebody, I don't know, fails to pay their electric bill and it's like $300 and then PG&E, instead of trying to track down the 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 person who owes them the three hundred dollars, they just sell it to like a debt collector for fifty dollars or something like that, and then that debt collector hounds that person for the rest of their life until eternity. <laughs> yes, I yeah. would say it's actually more akin to if you put down your car as collateral and you threw a grenade into your car, and <laughs> then then you say, "Hey, buy buy a fractionalized." ownership of this blown to shit car and we will pay you back with yield if this car magically begins to work again that that is that is how i would determine this kind of setup it's just <laughs> roger Ver is not going to pay this back like yeah. it would not surprise me and would just be like the most incredible play if roger ver then buys loads of rv usd and claims his yield and then like <laughs> his <laughs> He's back and just takes like a 20% uh, kind of uh, like discount on his uh, on his debt that he has to pay. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's it's really, really bizarre. But hey, anyway, <laughs> we'll see how this all plays out. Let's jump into the last few stories we have in the wrap-up section. Well, Matt, I'd be remiss to go an episode without mentioning mentioning your favorite topic other than Portugal, and that's Mr. Do Kwan. <laughs> oh, is he, is he still alive? Or he's not, he's not been uh, like taken out somewhere. He's, he's still wandering around at this point. Well, I think he's skirting the edge because those uh, scary people in dark basements known as anonymous are claiming that he will be quote, brought to justice as soon as possible. Almost. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do Kwan, watch out, man. Um, <clears throat> scary times for him. He's got the South Korean government, the U.S. government, and now a bunch of people in their mother's basements coming after him. And they're the last people. They're the last people you want coming after you. When they leave the the depths of their mom's basement, you know it's bad. You know it's bad. This is how this is how capitals get stormed. You know. <laughs> okay. Outside of Do Kwan. Um. So Matt. Your Solana phone has some competition. HTC has the new HTC Desire 22 Pro smartphone. Quite a little bit less catchy of a name. It rolls um, off the tongue. Which, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it comes preloaded with a crypto and NFT wallet in, ad- hmm. in addition to a bunch of other metaverse functionality. Um, a few things are interesting about this. First of all, this is the first of their Viverse phones which is, I guess, a combination of the word Vive and Metaverse, uh, which will... Yes. Really clever. Really <laughs> yeah. clever. So these will come preloaded with apps that let you do things like buy NFTs in a digital marketplace and, quote, create your own virtual space. I don't totally know what that means, but that's what they're selling. Um, and it's also optimized to work alongside HTC's lightweight 
Vive Flow VR headsets. So there will be some integration there. But what I think is interesting about this as well is that it's actually not HTC's first foray into crypto phones. They've been doing that since 2018 with the release of their Exodus One smartphone, which had a built-in crypto hardware wallet and the ability to run a full Bitcoin node. What? How did I know yeah. about this? Did I know. I was like, this is so surprising. <laughs> does, does HTC have their, I don't know if you know this, do, do they have like their own app store? Are they Android? Or it's been a while since I've looked at their HTC. Well, uh, yeah. So I believe that the HTC phones are running Android, but it sounds to me like this NFT app marketplace is going to be something that's proprietary. Uh, I don't yeah. think it's totally clear yet, though. Yeah, I... Uh, I, I highly doubt that HTC is going to be the one that brings crypto to the masses. However, um, I do think it's good that we're getting more of these projects that are looking at how we can solve the onboarding, the hardware issue. I, I feel the same about the Solana phone. Look, I don't think people are going to be throwing away their iPhones or their Pixels to um, take on and use Solana phone. I, I think it's going to be largely Web3 people that buy this, like myself probably included, just for the novelty, hilarity, um, and another great way to lose money in crypto. Um, but I, I think it will pave the way to getting developers building on platforms and also getting the other bigger players in the space to start seeing from afar how adoption kind of starts to play out and will probably uh, eventually convince the the bigger players in the space uh, to to start exploring in in this realm and I think the more we can do on both like the browser side of things, the app store side of things to make them a lot more web three friendly, the better. I completely agree. I think this is really cool. Uh, I don't know how much you've played around with HTC's Vive headsets, but they're spectacular. Yeah. I remember and... you telling me this a while back that you, you thought that they were, they were really, really good. I, I haven't used them before. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a couple of them. And um, I mean, the, of course, the hardware that HTC builds is just really great. Um, and I, I love this attempt to push even further forward and merge what's, you know, what's happening on the smartphone with what's happening in the VR headset and create that connection um, that really is, you know, I think in spirit of what we are now referring to as Web3 and the metaverse. Um, definitely. HTC is not afraid to take big steps and leaps ahead and make big bets. And I think the more players that we have in this space, obviously the Solana phone being another one of them, the more uh, everybody is going to benefit. So I actually love that that they're doing this. Mm. And I mean, huge hat tip to them that back in 2008, they had a smartphone that was a literal Bitcoin node. I, I mean, yeah. um, <laughs> definitely, you know, uh, a, a a team that is um, not afraid to, you know, make some big strides and some big bets. So, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to play around with the hardware. And also, when you get that phone, man, I'm interested to hear what you think of it. I think it's going to be really cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what uh, what comes. I think we're going to see more. My my take is I think that this crypto kind of winter that we're we're going to go through, uh, a lot of what's going to be built um, that is long lasting. We're going to see a lot more hardware 
entering the space that bridges the gap between kind of like online and crypto uh, or off-chain and on-chain. And, and, I, and I hope we see more devices like this, especially you know, as, as someone who's very much involved in like the, the metaverse space, I think it, we need that. Uh, we need better tooling, better hardware, stuff that integrates into existing consumer applications and hardware. So uh, hopefully we'll see that and this will likely pave the way to, to some of it. But a bit of a bumper episode this week. We've covered a bunch of stuff. We'll be back next week. It's been a pleasure catching up, Austin. And we'll see you as always next week for another episode of Off Chain. Talk to you then, Matt. The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.